0: Good morning. morning. Greet each one in Christ's name this morning. Welcome to our worship service. If you are visiting, why you are welcome to worship with us. And may the Lord meet us here this morning and and, uh, draw us closer to himself. Thank you, David, for those songs. I feel like those were um, powerful. Um, Just a couple comments that that stirred in my mind as he, was, he mentioned that we were at prayer meeting this, yesterday morning the um, chronicle scripture where it says, my people which are called by my name, if they humble themselves and pray. And uh, powerful scripture and we often latch on to pray and we, we, we want to pray and then then he will forgive us and heal our lands. But there is a condition and Lyle pointed it out this yesterday morning that first we must come and humble ourselves before him. If you think of it in another, in a a whole different picture, if you picture that person coming before God and he doesn't humble himself, doesn't do that first step, but he still has arrogance and a little bit of pride in his heart and he prays and he expects God to answer. And the scripture is pretty clear that God will resist the proud. And so that first step is so important as we, as a congregation, as a, a body of believers come before the Lord that we, we come before him humbly and say, God, you know, I can't make this happen on my own. I need you. That's the thought that was going through my mind. And then one of the songs, that I thought there would be a songbook up here. There isn't that 144. Uh, what, what, was it, what was the title of that song? God, um, for God so loves us. He loves even me. And the uh, I remember growing up or in my youth coming through Sandy Ridge, maybe in the old church, that we would sing that song. And in, in the German, it's Gottes Delibi. And we would sing the verses in German as well. I used to love that, kind of going back to our roots and our heritage of, of uh, where that song came from. So that reminded me of that as we sang that song. Let's pray and ask God to meet us here this morning. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we... We do come before you and we ask, Lord, that you would meet us. We've already sang songs of worship, songs of dedication, and we we want to trust and obey and follow you and thank you for calling us and, and, and wanting to be our God. And we desire to be your people. Help us to be humble before you, God. You resist the proud, and we don't want to be of that camp. And this morning, Lord, as we open your word, would you... By your Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? In multiple ways, ways that we cannot even think or imagine, you can cause the Spirit to speak to each and every need from the same word. And we ask that you would do that this morning. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We also uh, didn't think about it as I was praying, but we want to remember Kendall up at Elkhart. He's uh, preaching for them up in Elkhart this morning. <clears throat> it's been a while since my last time preaching, and uh, last Sunday was my turn, but we were, we were, we were planning on being gone. Uh, we were in Georgia for a wedding on Saturday, last Saturday, and, but we did make it back in time for Sunday service, but uh, John ended up preaching for us, which I appreciated that. The, uh, the message that I had previously, the last time was, I had titled it, A Peace Worth Fighting For, and uh, it was in reference to Philippians 4, so that's going to be where our scripture comes from this morning, Philippians chapter 4. I don't have an overhead this morning, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, um, that's where the bulk of our, uh, the message will come from. Verse 8, excuse me, verse 9, he says, uh, he talks about their, um, verse 7, he talks about the peace of God which passes understanding. We don't, we can't imagine the peace that God can provide. Passes are totally, would blow our mind if we would understand, if we would really understand it all. And it keeps our hearts and our minds, it guards us. And then verse 9, it says that, um, at the end of that verse, it says, And the God of peace shall be with you. And that's kind of where yeah. this, this peace that it, that's worth going to battle for, spiritually, it's, just, it's a spiritual battle, it's not a physical battle. That's where that, the idea of this message kind of came from for me. Where can we find peace? How can I find that peace which passes understanding? And uh, money doesn't buy it. It cannot buy it. In fact, it seems as though the more you have, the more, um, the more money and possessions that we have, the more it wants to, the peace is fleeting. And we, we all of a sudden are concerned about so many different things and, 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 and the enemy, our minds and our enemy would want to tell us that, you know what, if I would, if it would have a little bit more, then, then I could be at peace. And yet it seems to be the opposite. If I had a little bit more cash, it would be a little bit different for me. <laughs> I would be financially free, but that doesn't bring peace. And uh, we forget about that verse in First Timothy 6, where it says that they that, that will be rich or long to be rich, another version says, those that would long to be rich fall into temptation and snare and foolish and hurtful lusts. Which drown men in perdition. Now, that does not sound like peace at all. So, we can get past the idea that somehow finances would cause us to be peaceful. So, how do I find that peace? If it is the peace of God that I desire, I, w- I want to, the message today has a lot about doing maybe, but I want to just at the very front here say if the peace of God is what I desire, then I must go to the God of peace and make my peace with him. I need to get right with God. I need that salvation that, that affords that peace. I cannot earn the peace on my own strength, regardless how hard I work or how much I have or how many things that I have, that peace will not come of its own accord, that, pa- that peace that passes understandings. No matter how many toys I have, that peace will elude me because the peace comes from God. I need to get right with God. That's number one, that even, even if I don't say that anymore in this message, that is the very first thing that needs to happen, that we need get, to, I need that salvation that only comes from surrendering to him, humbly coming before him and bowing the knee before God by faith, accepting the sacrifice of his son on the cross. That's where it starts. Now, now that that has happened and I want the peace of God to reign in my heart. What comes next? As I was studying, I was thinking about this. That has to be the first thing that happens. And then, then it says that in Second in Corinthians 5, it says that, that Christ became sin for us. As I was studying, I just thought that is so... I don't understand all the concepts there. But it says that Christ became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. That is an amazing scripture that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When we realize the sacrifice that was needed for our rep- redemption, for our, for our justification, the sacrifice that was needed for that, then we can come like the, the men in Acts did to Peter and the apostles. They said, men and brethren, what must we do? And that's what the message is about today. Repent and be baptized, they said. That's step number one. But there's no relaxing in the, after that. Not just because you're in doesn't mean now you stop and you're, you're done. No, we keep going on. And that's where the verse comes in, in Philippians 4, verse 9. He says, he says that, those things which you have both learned and received, things that we've, we've, we, we've, we've learned by hearing or by watching, and we've received them into our hearts, things that we have both learned and received and heard and seen with our eyes and seen in me Paul is saying this and he's saying we can take that into our own as though he's speaking to us what generation has had more opportunities to learn about what does God's word say than our generation we have so many tools and so many things apps that we can have that remind us every day to read something they're at our fingertips everything the resources the books the commentaries the study helps the recorded messages that you can go back and listen to over and over again Opportunities, on and on, the opportunities come. Paul is saying, "The things you've learned, the things you've heard, the things you've seen from my preaching, Paul's preaching, you've received it, and by the Holy Spirit, it's made alive in you." Those things. Then he goes on and says, "One word, do the things that you've learned. Do them. That's our responsibility." And then he ends by saying, "In the and." The God of peace will be with you. So what are these things that we must do? Thinking about the opportunities that we have, I was thinking, if you've grown up in the church, and if you're, let's just take a a mid-range age and say 40 years old, you've listened to probably 2,000 messages preached that have crossed your ears and that's only if you, if you listen to a message on Sunday. If you listen to something during the week, if you listen to, if you come to weeks of meetings, we have so much knowledge and things that have come into our minds, opportunity to hear what God's word says. We have no excuse. And Paul's telling them, there's something that you need to do. And he says, if you see in verse, just coming back and he says, what you've seen in me, Paul's saying, I've lived amongst you. You've watched my conduct. You've seen how I've lived, how I've operated my business. And you've seen those things. And if you have found that I am faithful, then follow those same things. Do what I'm telling you. Doing will not bring the salvation, but it is a vital part of our Christian walk after salvation. If you do these things, then the God of peace, the author of peace, the king of peace, the promoter of peace the giver of peace. It says in John 14, Peace I leave with you, peace I give unto you. He is the giver of peace. And that God, he says that he will give us peace. He is the one that has made peace between heaven and earth for us through the work of his Christ, of his son, uh, the sacrifice of his son. And then he says... I I feel like I'm hammering this verse pretty hard, but it says the God of peace, and then it says that He shall be with you. That that grips me. Why would God want to be with me? I'm just a speck of nothing, and yet it says that the God of peace will be with you. He will be with you, and our hearts cry out, "What should I do then?" He says in Jeremiah, "Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people." That's powerful. He delights in us. He delights enough that he would want to be with us and be part of us. There are many things that we could be doing, but in Philippians, it gives us a list. And we started about a month ago, probably, or maybe longer ago. We talked about several of the first parts uh, of this list. And verse 8 has the list. He says, Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And that's the list that we we started going through, what's true and honest and honorable and just. And we're to think on these things, contemplate on them, kind of mull them over, more than just a passing thought. But it's something that we, it's a calculated assessment, calculated consideration. Consider these things. What is, what is true? I'm going to go over the first three. We went through those last time. We'll just touch on those and then we'll finish out with the other, the last three. Whatsoever is true is the first one. Genuine. There's no falsehood found in this thing that's true. Think on, contemplate on those things. What, what are the things that I know are true? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The things I listen to, the things I speak, are they, are they true? That's what it calls us to. God's word is true. Think on these things. We shun gossip and slander and evil speaking because it's not true. We don't know that it's true. It's gossip. Those are the things we shun, and we cling to those that are true, things that are true. Number two is whatsoever things are honorable or or honest. Am I an honest person? Am I an honorable person? Do I think honorable things about my neighbor and my fellow brother? Do I esteem others better than myself? That's what we learn in being honorable and honest. And then number three was what is just? acting on and behaving according to what is morally right and fair, just. Jesus was our example of a just person. First, First Peter 3 says that, that, For Christ hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust. The just Christ for us, the unjust, he suffered for us, that, we might, that he might bring us to God. What are the things that are just? Honorable and, and uh, morally right and fair. And number four, we begin this morning with think on whatsoever things are pure. And this word is, um, is the idea of chaste, chaste lives, clean hearts and clean thoughts. Whatsoever things are pure, pure, unspotted, unblemished by the world. And we speak, we're speaking sp- spiritually here. We know that there are times that, that maybe, maybe someone has a, an injury or we're not talking about physical blemishes or f- physical handicaps or anything like that. This is a spiritual purity that's in a person. Unblemished by the world. 1 John 3 says, 1 John 3, 3, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So what hope do we have? John talks about that in, in 1 John. He says that we, be, that, that we would be part of the bride of Christ. When, when Christ returns, that we're going to be a part of that bride. And he's going to take us home. John uh, 3, 2, the verse just before that, he says, now, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear how we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, when he comes back, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. If we have this hope, it says, if we have that hope, then let's purify ourselves. Whatsoever is pure, consider those things that are pure and, 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 and try to to um, purify ourselves like he is pure. The, our, the media, society, our society around us has in such a subtle way Change the meaning of what that might mean. They've twisted those things that are pure. Things that a hundred years ago, even 60 years ago or 70 years ago, we would never have thought about even talking about, mentioning in public. Now they blaze them in the streets. They promote them in the schools. And they're putting books in, in, in public libraries, school libraries, that promote the fall and dark lifestyle that they want to promote. Purity. We don't want any of that in us, in our, in our midst. Purity of life, purity of thought. These things might look so out of date, according to them especially, but that's not what it is. It's what God desires for us. We're not living for their kingdom. We're living for another kingdom. And another king that calls the shots, and he calls us to purity. Think on those things. He calls us to, to consider what's occupying our minds. Think, think on the pure things. What's honest and true and pure? And just. Think on those things. What's occupying my mind? Wisdom would tell us that there are things that shouldn't be coming into our minds. And it, it talks in Corinthians about, about binding those things and t- bringing them into captivity in the captivity of Jesus Christ. So we can't help sometimes what goes through our minds, but we can bring that into captivity. But what are we thinking on? What are we dwelling on? And wisdom tells us there's things that we shouldn't be dwelling on. And that would be godly wisdom that tells us that. In James 3, it says, But, but the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that comes from God, that first, it says, the wisdom that comes from above is first pure. Isn't that something that it would say that wisdom is pure? Then it's peaceable, it's gentle, and it's easily being treated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's the the wisdom that comes from above. And that wisdom tells us, first of all, it is pure, and it tells us we should be thinking on things that are pure. earlier in that scripture it talks about the wisdom of the world the, the King James calls it the wisdom that descends not from above in other words it comes from somewhere else it comes from, from the earth it says but earthly and sensual devilish and it says therefore envying and strife for where envying and strife is there is confusion in every evil work there is no peace in that kind of wisdom there's no purity either That there's no purity there in earthly wisdom. What is, what is wisdom? It brought to my mind, what is, we say, well, we want to be wise and we, we ask God for wisdom. But what is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to think and act on the things that we know and we understand and we've experienced. So all those things, the knowledge that comes into our minds... Then we put those things into action and practice. And how we think, that's the wisdom. Those things all combined. They put those those into our computer. And the answer it puts out is the wisdom of how we think and act. If we are full of the philosophies of this present age, that kind of wisdom, and that kind of wisdom then will dictate how we think and how we act. And God says, well, that's, not the, that's not the wisdom from above. Whatsoever is pure. There's no mixture of sin. It's pure. We understand purity in in if there's a if there's a purebred animal, then there's no mixture of other strains in it. We understand that. If I have I have a cup of water up here, and if if I would take a spoonful of muddy water and put it in there. We'd, oh, that wouldn't be pure. We wouldn't even think of drinking it. It's no longer pure. But what if I would take just one drop of a poison that's clear and I would drop it in there, and you'd know it. Would you want to drink? It's not pure anymore. You wouldn't. I could. I could mix more water with it, and you'd know that's not. Uh, that's not. That's not pure. And that's what he's asking for us. We should be pure before him. No mixture. Of sin within us, it's all t- been taken care of by the blood of Christ. Can I understand that that I must remain pure? He's asking us, whatsoever things are pure, think on those things, and then he says, whatsoever things what are, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, acts that spring out of love and promote love, things like. That inspire, They inspire love. An individual that is genuinely likable is a lovely person. Someone that other people like to be around. Do people like to be around you or do they shy away from you? Barnes says this, and I've put this into my own words uh, to a degree, but it's his basic premise. A Christian should not be sour and crabby. Irritable in his temperament. There is nothing that injures the cause of religion, and I add the cause of Christ, than a temper that is flared. A person that's angry. There's nothing that injures the cause of Christ more than a than a temper that is flared, or a brow that is stern and morose, sullen and 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 glum, a brow that's furrowed and You can tell he's not a happy person. And an eye that is severe and unkind and a disposition that finds fault with everything. There is nothing that finds, that injures the cause of Christ more than that kind of person. And then he goes on to say, a sour... I'm sorry. First he says, it is regrettable that some people and I find this, I found this is a person, I don't know when he was writing this, in 1800 probably. That it is regrettable that there are, there are many people that make no pretension of, of religion or they make no pretension of being, I, they don't even profess to be a Christian. They do not profess to be a Christian and who surpass those who do profess Christ and they surpass them in their temperament. In other words, they're more lovely than the Christians are. How regrettable is that? A sour and crab temperament in a professor, a professor of Christ. A sour and crab temperament in a person that professes Christ will undo all the good that he attempts to do. Are you a lovely person? Do you think on things that are lovely? Because if we're the opposite, if we are not that kind of person, then the things that we do are nullified by our attitude. The Greek word, I, find it, I found it interesting here, the Greek word here for lovely is actually a compound word. It's pros, I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce it, prosphiles, prosphiles. And um, it's only used one time in the scriptures. And what I found interesting about it, so it's a compound word, and the preposition is pros, P-R-O-S, and we, we understand this because we pro we use the word pro for a lot of things you know pro we're pro life in other words we support life pro we're um we're, we're pro israel so we support israel it's we're for israel and that's what that word um pro pro means that it's it's a preposition of direction. It's towards something or for something. We understand the opposite as well. Antivirus. Antibiotic. It's a medicine that works against bacteria. It's anti. But pro is for. So this is pro. The first word part of this pro. Pro, which is for. And the second word is phileo, which we, if you remember, the is a, a word for love in the Greek language. We have uh, phileo, we have, which is a brotherly love. We have agape, which is a the love that God has for us. And that's the second word, pro I found that to be interesting. Think on things that promote brotherly love. Think on those things. It's no wonder that Scripture talks strongly against the opposition of that. So he's asking us here to be a promoter, a thinking on things that are promoting brotherhood. And if we do not do that, and we do the opposite, it says in in Proverbs 26, 21, as coals are to burning coals, and as you add more coals to burning coals, or wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Not a good thing. Romans 2 talks about the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. And then he goes on to say, To those that patiently continue in well-doing, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious, in other words, they're not promoting brotherly love. They're contentious in their dealings. If they're contentious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, what is their reward? Tribulation and anguish. Think on things that promote brotherly love, that are lovely. To be lovely in conduct and in conversation. And God will reward those that do those things. So we are to, are to, to think on things that are pure and things that are lovely and are of a good report. Number three. Number six in the whole list. A life where no evil thing can honestly be said of. A good report. The Christian should live in a in a manner, in a pattern of life, an example to his ungodly neighbor, that there should be a good report of his life. It's be the idea of being reputable, or being well spoken of. Think on those things. If you're a business person, if you run a business or 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 work in a business, this is a critical thing to have a good report. I mean, what anymore, what do you do when you want to check something out? you go on to Google and see what kind of reviews they have? How many stars do they have? And though you may, may not be able to put the weight, all your weight on what Google says, or the Google review, what are my reviews from my neighbors? Do I live in such a way that I, that I have a good report from the people that I do business with? It's not something we can be proud of or, or, or puffed up about. No, it's about, it's something that should come from us, from within us. It's who we are. People that, that do business and do conduct in a way that brings a good report. do I wouldn't think of it being any other way because that's who I am in Christ. What are examples of this in Scripture? For sure, Jesus was that example. Pilate had to admit, I find no fault in him. He was of good report. Daniel was another man. They could not find any fault in him except on how he served towards his God. Uh, I I didn't write where this source came from, but I read somewhere that the highest testimony of a godly man's walk when his most watchful enemies can find no wrong, no wrongdoing. That's the highest testimony. Save in the way that he walks according to the law of his God. Even when the when when those that are opposed to him can find no way to to find any fault in him except for the way he serves his God. What a high testimony! That's that's having uh, a good report. Do we have that kind of testimony? when people are finished dealing with me do they say that was they walk away thinking that was that was lovely he was a very nice person and he have we have a good report that's what god's calling for us here i'm going to just read the scripture again and as we think about what we just what what God's Word just said. The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true and whatsoever things are honest and whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And then he goes on in verse 9, which is what I began with. Those things which ye have heard both learned learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. As a summary here, for the Christians, seeking after, following after, practicing all the, the good and moral things become a framework. The doing that we do is not, a, is not how we gain our salvation. It becomes a framework, an integral part of how we glorify the Father which is in heaven. They will never raise us up out of the deadness of our sins or bring us to holiness. That is accomplished by faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot depend on doing things. I'm a good person, but no. But when God changes us, the evidences of that change will be manifest in the way we think, the way we live, the things that we think on and the things that we do, our conduct. That's what that will change. And what other benefits does he so graciously supply us? And it says there in, in Philippians nine it says that the things that we've heard and when we do them, the God of peace shall be with you. If God if we desire to have God dwell with us, that God of peace to dwell with us, then we should do those things. He will keep us. It says in, 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 in verse seven. The the peace that passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He will keep us regardless how difficult life is. And I know there are people here today that are going through some really deep and difficult times. I don't fully understand what that all means. It's easy to say when life is good that God's going to be with us. But I really believe that the peace of God will keep our hearts and our minds, even in those most difficult times. As I was studying, I had to think of Job. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And that's where we want to be with God this morning. God, I want to live for you. I want to serve you. And regardless what happens to me physically, I'm going to trust you. And I want to just, with the words of Paul, commend this to you and say, may the God of peace, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Let's stand to pray. Heavenly Father,